0: So death can be a very uncomfortable uh, topic of conversation or thought for people. Uh, We've had experiences in our lives of losing people. All of us have lost people in our lives. It's hard to go through. Uh, It brings a lot of heartache and challenge. Uh, It's possible that you may have had your own near-death experience at one point. Death is a challenging topic um, part of it is because there's certainty that our time on Earth will come to an end at some point, and we generally do not know when that end is. So there's a looming, lurking element to it. It's like lurking around the corner. The older we get, the more of this reality. We have tasted losing more friends, losing more loved ones. But as uncomfortable as this thought process might be, this topic might be, uh, the concept of death is woven into the life of the church. The concept of death is woven into the fabric of church life. It's part of our regular patterns, our ordinances. We celebrate death. We celebrate death. In the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which we will participate in this morning, we remember how Jesus' body was torn and his blood was spilled for us. His body was torn for us, his blood was spilled for us as a means of giving us life. We proclaim His death as a provision of life for us. He died that we might live. We've been united into His life. and We've been united into His death. And then through the celebration of baptism, as we just witnessed, you saw six people standing upright, being placed under the water, being taken out of the water, and this proclaims a message of death and resurrection. Each one of those six have expressed their faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Christ results in union with Christ. We're buried with Christ in His death. And we're raised in life with a resurrection like His. Because He lives we live now and because he lives and we live now through him we will live forever so both of these ordinances that we're taking a look at thinking about this morning are both surrounding the topic of death and it really it's not a somber celebration it's not a somber look it is a rejoicing in what god has done through christ for us of course there is some soberness to the topic. It's not like when Jesus died for us He didn't feel all of His nerves shouting out like your nerves would shout out in the midst of pain and turmoil. So there is a sobriety to thinking about it. But it was the plan of God determined before the foundation of the world. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before Adam and Eve, before the foundation of the world was laid, before Jesus uttered the words, Let there be light, and there was light, God had planned to send his Son, Jesus, to bear our sin debt, to die in our place, and to be raised for our justification. This is why we celebrate death. Because His death was not the end. And because His death that resulted in resurrection and victory is the very victory that believers have received right now at this moment. When He died, we died. When He rose... We rose because of His death and resurrection. We've been given real, unending life. So we want to look at our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 3, and we'll read down to verse 10. It's a beautiful uh, section of Scripture. We are only going to focus our attention just on verse 7. God's Word says, Blessed be the God and Father and things on earth. So we remember and we celebrate God's work that results in God's blessing, spiritual blessing that is ours right now in the heavenly places because of Christ. In verse 7, the text says, in Him, speaking of the beloved Christ, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. We're going to just look at this just for a few minutes. In preparation, both of a reflection of what we viewed in baptism, and in preparation for our participation in the Lord's Supper, Jesus' death is the source of our redemption. It says, in Him, we have redemption. The concept of redemption is not one that we maybe think about as, as much in these days, but if you think back in the first century of a slave who was owned by someone but, but sold into the market, and someone comes into that market and sees that slave, he's up for auction now, and, and a slave owner puts a bid in on that person. I'm going to buy that person. I'm going to own them. They're going to be my slave. And so someone puts a bid in on this slave, maybe their last owner was a halfway decent person or maybe he was a terrible person. We couldn't tell you. And maybe this new one's going to be better or maybe he's going to be worse. You might go from, from good to bad. You might go from bad to good. You might go from bad to worse. No telling. person up for bid... Doesn't have any say in the matter. They're subject to this process. Now, take that imagery. That's what he's doing. He's taking that imagery and he's saying, God has redeemed you. And so, you go from one slave owner, which is not a good one. You know who that slave owner was? You. You're a terrible slave owner. You have no idea how terrible of a slave owner you are. You're constantly harming yourself. And I'm not I don't mean that like you, it's like us. We are terrible masters. We, we aim at things that harm us and those around us. And we we leave that master for a master that sets us free from bondage. And He removes the death that we subject ourselves to every day. And in the place of death, He provides real life. Real life. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along this morning. And if you come back tonight in our study groups, we'll talk a little bit more about what it is that God does to to take us from the death that we have in and of ourselves to give us life that is His and how that helps us to see Who He is and what He provides for us, God redeems us. We've gone from bad to best. From a terrible slave owner to the best master one could have. Through Christ, we've received received redemption. But this passage goes on. It only uses that as just a small portion of the imagery. It says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. There's the means. Jesus' blood is the payment for our redemption. Jesus laid his life down. Now, we're familiar. Last week, we all, you know, in one, probably celebrated Easter in one way or another. Perhaps you were here, perhaps you were at another church, maybe you didn't go to church, but for some reason, there's this mark on the calendar. Every April, sometimes in March, but usually in April, we celebrate Easter. And it's about resurrection. Well, without, what is the resurrection for? It's the stamp of God's approval that Jesus lived for us perfectly. Laid His life down for us. Bearing our sin in His own body on the tree. He gave up His Spirit. He He committed His Spirit to the Father. His King James language, He, He gave up the ghost. He was placed in a A tomb for parts of three days, and he rose. In the process of Jesus laying down his life, he shed his blood. His blood was shed. And that blood was a ransom price, it was the payment for the redemption. You can look at it in 1 Peter chapter 1 that talks about that we weren't redeemed with silver and gold but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You could look through the book of Hebrews and see time and time again, you know, they had these, these animal sacrifices that were part of the old covenant system. Animal sacrifices. They could never remove fully sin. They covered sin for a time, but every year there was a new requirement on the Day of Atonement to bring another lamb to cover their sin again. But now, in the end of time, Jesus is set forth as a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. Forever dealing with sin. Destroying sin. Condemning sin in His flesh, Romans chapter 8 tells us. Jesus' blood was shed as a payment to redeem us. God didn't just shell out some money. That would have been easy. He owns it all instead of shelling out some money that would have been easy, he sent his own son to bear my sin, to be condemned in his body for my sin as though he had committed it all. God lovingly wanted to rescue you. He loved you enough He loved you so much to shed the innocent blood of His own Son. It's an amazing reality to help us to see what kind of a God we have. And the Bible tells us that unless God opens our eyes to see this, we think it's foolishness or a stumbling block. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about? Foolishness. A, A cross? Only the worst of the worst. No Roman citizen is crucified. The worst of the worst, that's a a curse. And then, for the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So for Jews and Gentiles, that, that means everybody. It's foolishness until God opens our eyes to see that Jesus is our redemption. That Jesus is our wisdom. That Jesus is our sanctification. That Jesus is our everything. God opens our eyes to see this. In Him we have redemption through His blood. What is the result of of the redemption and bloodshed of Jesus? Jesus' blood provides redemption's sweetest result, which is the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 7 again. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespass. That's one of the many terms that the Bible uses for sin. And it kind of gives this image, right? You've got a a boundary marker. And we say, well, I know that's your property, but too bad, I'm going to pass on over it. That's one image for sin. Another is to miss the mark, right? You've got the the idea of like maybe an archer who pulls back the arrow and the string, lets it go, and it's heading toward the target, but it didn't quite make it. Fall short of the mark. There's high-handed, and then there's ignorant ones. Sin. This passage just simply says Jesus' redemption... Provides for the forgiveness of our trespasses. It encompasses all the varieties of sin. God simply says, I will take that away. You can kind of think of it in terms of a passage that you might be familiar with from Psalm 103. Listen to these words He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Remove. The word, technical term, remission. Remission. The blood of Christ Results in taking my sin, and yours, and taking it so far, as far as the east is from the west. Now you, have, you know your geography. If you keep going east, you're just going east. And you keep heading east. You don't ever get west. You keep going east. North and south, different. East and west is different. There's an imagery here of God saying your sin is taken away forever. How? Through the blood of Christ. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We go from bondage to freedom. At the moment of our cleansing, at the moment we recognize, at the moment we see God and Christ for who He is, and the offer of salvation that He holds out before us in Christ when we see Jesus as the Savior, the One that God holds forth for the redemption of the world, God cleanses us from every sin and we receive life. We we're regenerated. The word regeneration means to be made alive. We're regenerated by the Holy Spirit we're able to see our God not as ogre in the sky with impending doom. We see God as a Father who adopts us as His children, who unites us with His Son, who provides for us an eternal inheritance. This comes when our eyes are opened Through faith in Christ, God's Spirit makes us alive, and we see God as Father. And we see Jesus as Shepherd. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Jesus, the Judge, is Jesus the Savior. And our eyes are open to this reality when we see what God holds out for us in His Son. He offers us life. And then we see and begin to experience the tastes of the fruits of heaven. When the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's so easy for us to talk about, well, Love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And take those and suck the life out of them. And say, okay, how do, I, how do I get love? And how do I do love? And how do I perform love? How do I give love? How do I, how do I gain this peace? So often when we look at that as, as a list of things that we can extract and do, they become actually another form of death for us. When instead... When God imparts His life to us, He sheds His Spirit abroad in our hearts and what comes with it? Love. And the fruitful demonstrations of the Spirit, it's it's a way in which we taste a foretaste of heaven. Here in this life, on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and perhaps and hopefully today as well, we'll taste glimpses of heaven as God's Spirit imparts his fruitfulness to us. This happens as God makes us alive. This is the as we as we head toward the, the last phrase of Ephesians 1:6, we're starting to see that that this is these tastes are leading us to desire the fullness of experiencing God's love and joy and peace and long-suffering unendingly without interruption. The fullness of that in heaven. As we come to the end of verse 7, what we're recognizing is this is a a grace of God for us to be made alive and to experience that life. Look what it says at the end of verse 7. It says, according to the riches, the word could be translated abundance, of His grace, the forgiveness of trespasses that we receive, the removal of guilt and the removal of condemnation and the removal of, of debt, The removal of condemnation because I have a debt. It's all removed. And then the imparting of His abundant supply of grace which is tasting and seeing that God is good. So God supplies in supernatural ways an unending supply of His grace. We can't exhaust it. He always supplies our deepest needs. Does that mean that I always sense that supply? No, there are times that I say, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to frustrate the grace. God's pouring the grace out and saying, no, I'm going to sidestep that. I have another plan. That's, I think, how Galatians 2 ends. Forsaking or denying God's grace. God supplies in our deepest needs. He's never lacking in his provision. This is why the psalmist makes this statement. Now, listen carefully. These are words that you're familiar with. Psalm thirty-four and verse eight: O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. His supply is vast. I think it's very, very clear in verse seven. Redemption through the blood and forgiveness and this supply of abundant grace that God gives us. There's no greater grace gift than that of Jesus' sacrificial death on our behalf. We celebrate death. We're constantly reminded of it. Constantly reminded of it. We celebrate death because it's the forerunner of the life that we've received. God has imparted his life to us. He exchanges our life filled with debt and guilt and frustration and death for His life of supply and good and fruit. He's good. After we pray in just a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And in this Supper, we proclaim His death. We proclaim that His death is sufficient to save us that it is sufficient to have saved us. Stated better. We proclaim that his death is sufficient to have saved us. We proclaim that his death results in our life. We proclaim that we are beneficiaries of all that he is through his death for us. Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, we think about the proclamation of faith from our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. We think maybe back to the time when we proclaimed our faith publicly. And it gives us great joy to think about the work that you have done. I'm thankful for Jean and Jeannie and Maddie. I'm thankful for Eric and Ben and Asa. But they are not the object of our rejoicing this morning. You are. Your Son is. Their proclamation is that you saved them through Christ. And we rejoice. We rejoice in that salvation you have provided for them, that you've also provided for us. We ask that you would help us as we continue to celebrate and participate in this worship time as we turn our attention toward the supper that you have provided. You have provided everything necessary for this celebration. You've provided your son. You've provided the truth. You've provided the elements for us that we might recognize that The torn body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus was for the redemption of our souls to save us from ourselves and from our sin and from the condemnation associated with our sin and to save us to you, to give us your life, to give us your peace, to give us your joy, to give us a place with you forever. Help us as we celebrate together, as we participate together, that we would do so uh, reflecting on what you've revealed. We would do so examining the intentions of our hearts to point to you. And that we would proclaim this death today and until he comes. In Jesus' name. Amen.